Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, welcome here this morning, and, and as was said earlier, I hope you are praying as regards our election. The Bible tells us to do that, uh, regardless of who we're for or what we feel, and I hope you are praying. You know, maybe the simplest way to think about the question that was up on our screen just now, how, how we know when we really believe is, do we act on that belief, regardless of the setting, regardless of the situation? I mean, it can be as simple as, if I believe a chair is going to support my weight, I sit in it. If I don't, I won't. If I believe God has forgiven me, as Scripture says, then I can start shedding some of the guilt rather than continuing to beat myself up because of past failures, mistakes, and sins. If I believe God is, is real and, and loves me and is always with me, then I start trying to live a life that is always pleasing to Him. Whether or not anyone else sees it or not, anyone, whether someone sees how I live my life or not, that's, that's really what we call integrity. See, our actions are one of the best revealers of what we really believe, regardless of what we say, and even regardless of what we want to believe. And, and this is really important because a lot of times we know what to say. We know the right things, but if we're not living it, do we really believe it? And this is a major point John wants to get across to the churches he's writing and the churches he began because some have left the church claiming that they're super spiritual, but their lives don't reflect God's love, God's law, God's commandments at all. And that, for John, is a, essentially an oxymoron. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense then, nor today. So Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to chapter 5 of 1 John or, and pull out your notes. If you don't have a Bible with you, they're in your bulletin. You can use those to follow along and write in if, if that's helpful to you. But we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 5 right at the very beginning and go through 12 verses of this this morning. This is our second to last week in this series. John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. He tells us, John says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a Christian. And, and, and John just takes for granted then that Christians love other Christians and that this action then demonstrates who is a Christ follower, who is living it out in their daily lives. And remember, we, we've said throughout in this series, and, and, and in fact beyond that, that love chooses to accept someone for who they are and sacrificially works for their good. It is a choice, uh, it, just like something of what we just sang. And John believes that all of this is important to affirm because it's likely that, that those who left his churches, whom he has called antichrists, they claimed that they loved other Christians, but apparently their actions say otherwise. John writes, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. The, the proof that we love God is that we obey. 
we obey his commandments. We obey what he tells us to do. We obey the life he calls us to. Remember, our actions are one of the best revealers of what we really believe. Obedience proves that, that we trust, that we believe God. If, 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 you, if you trust someone and they tell you, trust me to do this, you're willing to do it. If somebody tells you, trust me, and you say, oh, you think to yourself, ah, I'm not so sure. Don't know that I can believe you. Don't know that you've got my best interest at heart. Then no matter what they say, you don't do it. Obedience proves we trust and believe God. And so we, we choose to love. We choose, choose, don't feel. We choose to love any and all of God's children, not because they deserve it, but because we love God. And this is how we show that, and we are obedient to that. John writes, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And and yet a lot of folks would question whether or not God's commandments are burdensome. You know, I've heard people say, uh, you know, do I have to keep all ten? Can I keep eight out of ten? You know, we're saying they're burdensome. When you say that, when you think about that, when you want to dismiss one or more of them, and I don't just mean the Ten Commandments, but, but stuff that Jesus said and, and, and stuff that's found throughout the Bible. Maybe we've even felt like keeping God's commandments keeps us from having fun or from getting ahead at work or from getting what we want. And let's be honest. In a sense, it's true, at least in the short term. There are times when you will get ahead by not doing what God wants. There are times when the world will recognize and reward you in the short term. But John understands that God is our heavenly father, the God who created us, who loves us, his children very much, and he wants only the best for us. And his his laws and commandments are, are meant not to protect keep us from having fun, not to keep us from enjoying life. They're in fact meant to protect us and point us to a greater good. And the the more we love God, the more we come to trust him, to place our faith in him, we begin to believe that his commandments are, in fact, for our own good. God's love transforms our hearts. So that our, our love for God leads us to the point where our, our heart's desire is to do his will, to, to obey him regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences. Just as in Jesus himself demonstrated on the night in which he was, he was taken into prison and, 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 and the next day crucified, he said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. Clearly, the, the, the human side of him, there was a part of this he didn't want to do. He knew there was going to be pain. He knew there was going to be suffering. He knew it would be incredibly hard. But his decision, his choice, is, was to obey whatever God wanted to do, whatever God was calling him to do. And that that obedience to God would lead to a greater good in the longer term, though it led to the cross in the short term. And, and, and on that day, on that Friday afternoon, as he's hanging on the cross, there was no one thinking that this was good. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, and we believe it's the greatest good that has ever occurred in human history. 
God's love calls each of us to that kind of love and faith. And, and, and we're ultimately blessed by it. And his, his love empowers us and transforms us so that obedience becomes not just our heart's desire, believe it or not, but through the Spirit living in us, it's something we can actually do. We actually can obey. We actually can sacrifice. We actually can step out of our comfort zones. We actually can do those things that are hard. John writes, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And that is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It is through our faith that of trusting God enough to obey that we experience his blessings. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Those are the same words John wrote. Jesus promised us struggles in this world. Sometimes preachers want to tell you, you know, you, you commit your life to Christ and everything's going to be great from here on out. And I mean, that's just Pollyanna. That's just, that's just a load of it. I mean, it is, just because we trust him doesn't mean all of our problems go away. In fact, in some cases, it will bring more. But it doesn't mean life is worse, even in the midst of harder. I mean, I still remember Tom Hanks and in the League of Their Own, he, he said, hard is what makes it great. Well, I don't know that you can, you can demonstrate that just because Tom Hanks said it. But Jesus proves it over and over again. It's, and, and we, in obedience, in loving others, we are demonstrating the very power of God. It is a witness to the world around us, the power of Christ who enables us to overcome. When you do something that goes against the grain, when you do something that people around you think is crazy, but it is the loving thing to do, it is in obedience to Christ, people are going to think you're crazy. People are going to think we're crazy. And yet, when God brings fruit from that circumstance, when God brings restoration in a relationship, when God shows the value of integrity, then everything changes. John says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And, and really, in a sense, these first five verses of, of chapter 5 expand on what John said in his own gospel, the gospel of John, after Jesus' resurrection and, and the disciple Thomas confesses when he, he finally sees Jesus face to face, he says, my Lord and my God. The, the gospel, John goes on to write in chapter 20, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I mean, guys, our beliefs matter, and the best evidence of our belief is when we act, when we trust him with our tithe, when we believe that we are forgiven regardless of what someone says, when we love those around us. And John wants us to understand that there are in fact good reasons to believe. We aren't, we aren't asked to just simply make blind leaps of faith. John wants his readers, he wants us today to realize that our faith is built on solid ground, on solid foundations. And that that faith is grounded ultimately in who Jesus is. And yet as John proceeds, 
His next verse kind of stirred up some discussion over the years of exactly what he was trying to say. When we go to chapter, verse 6, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. John's claim that Jesus came by water and the blood has, has been really something the church has kind of sought to understand down through the centuries. It, it appears that those who left John's church, whom he calls the Antichrists, claim that Jesus came essentially by the water only. And John wants the beloved in his churches to get this right because beliefs and actions go together. They're intertwined. Since the early 300s, a lot of church leaders in those, in those centuries in between there believe that John wrote about the water and blood. It's kind of this reference to the sacraments of, of baptism and communion, that the, somehow he was referencing that. The problem that many have, have looked at that and said is that John doesn't seem interested in the rituals of the church, in the, the rites of the church, if you will. He's focused completely on Jesus. Who is Jesus on what we've called Christology? A few have wondered if John maybe was pointing in his own gospel to the moment right after Jesus dies on the cross. It says a, 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 a soldier thrusts a spear in his side to prove he's dead. And in John 19, it says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. The same, the same reference. But again, this doesn't reference, this doesn't really answer any of the Antichrist's claims that, talking about water only. The view that seems to be the, the biggest view, the most common view, the, the most thought con, considered view today is that water and blood are used by John to sum up Jesus' entire incarnational ministry here on earth. And in the first chapter of John, John is baptized with water, chapter 1. And, and God's voice from heaven declares him to be God's own son, God's beloved son. His, his blood was shed for us on the cross, showing that Jesus himself, fully man, Fully God died, died for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And it appears that many of those who left his church believed Jesus was just a man and that, and that God's spirit had, had descended on him just at baptism. He hadn't been anything special. It, it, you know, it's interesting. John doesn't tell, if you read the Gospel of John, John doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. So those who were following John may not have even had that story. And so John's story begins with his baptism. And he's writing to people who have kind of come up in, under his tutelage. And, and so John is, I, I told someone this morning, to me, First John is almost like John's commentary on John's gospel. He's trying to explain where people have taken some of the things he said and misunderstood them. And and. Some of them seem to have said that everything about Jesus began at his baptism, that that was the, the significant point. And so they talk about that, that God descended on him then, not before, and so they're referenced to the water, but then that somehow God's spirit left Jesus prior to the crucifixion because they couldn't con conceive of a God willing to die on a cross. I mean, you go to all the other mythologies and you don't see those gods willing to die to give up their lives for a greater cause. But this God did. And so they don't make any reference to the blood. They don't see him dying on the cross as God, fully man, Jesus, fully man, fully God. For John then, Jesus, who is for him fully man, fully God, 
died on the cross. So it's not by water only, but by the water and the blood, John says. In other words, you and I cannot understand, no one can understand who Jesus is, what he did, apart from the cross. You can't have Christianity and divorce it from what happened there. You can't say he was just a good man. You have to go all the way to the cross. It is both his incarnation, represented by his baptism, but it occurred long before then, and his sacrificial death on the cross that fully reveals who Jesus is and what he has done that, in fact, gives life. But John says there's still a third witness beyond the water and the blood, the Spirit. He goes on in verse 6 to say, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, Old Testament law required that there be two or three witnesses to verify any claim. You can look that up in Deuteronomy 19. John was well aware of this and and seems to be providing it. The Spirit provides a third witness here alongside the water and the blood, according to John. The Spirit certainly would have been the ongoing inner witness of the Spirit speaking into the life of every Christ follower, that as we are followers of Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to live within us, and there is this testimony, there is this witness that occurs within us. John, though, was there at the crucifixion. In fact, it appears he was the only disciple who actually witnessed it. In John 19, 26, Jesus, in fact, refers to him as he does in the Gospel. John is the disciple whom, he, whom Jesus loved. Uh, he told him to take care of his mother Mary. John wrote in his Gospel, he who saw it, talking about the crucifixion, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. This this witness early on was clearly understood to be the Holy Spirit through Christ's followers, his church. The Spirit then works not only in and through the individual, but also in and through his church. And so the disciple whom Jesus loved, his testimony was a first-person testimony and Spirit-inspired so that the witness of the Spirit has become the witness not just of John, but of the entire church through his spirit. What John saw at the cross, the death of the man Jesus, who was also the Son of God, is borne out and, and, and claimed by the community of faith over and against what the Antichrist had been saying. John then says this testimony of the spirit, the water, and the blood agree about Jesus, that they are divinely inspired testimonies. And so John says we can dismiss the claims of those who've left his churches, these antichrists who, who, who make different claims. He says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, talking about some of those that are left, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. And this testimony is found in the life, the, the, the birth, the baptism, the death, the resurrection, Uh, and and claimed and repeated by the Spirit-inspired church, John says this is greater than any human claims. He says in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made God, made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. See, John tells his readers that those who are making claims other than what has been borne out through Jesus' life and death and, and carried forward by God's church 
are, are not just disagreeing with him. They're not just saying, John, we don't agree with you. He is saying they are calling God himself a liar. For he says, because of the witness of the water, the blood, and the spirit, this is the claim that is being made. But for those who do believe, John says it's not even just about right belief. It is, in fact, more. It is eternal life. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now let me just tell you all here. John is really blunt at this point, I think, in what he is saying. In response to those who've left his churches, in response to those who've dismissed the role, the authority of Jesus, He is saying that God's gift of eternal life comes through his son, Jesus. And and apart from this son, the son of God, he says a person does not have life. He is reminding us of exactly what Jesus said about his role of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, John is, as, to me, is as clear and as blunt as he can be. It is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if we set that aside, if we dismiss it, if we say he's a good man, we have missed the whole point. And so through all this, John is giving us solid ground that you and I can stand on by faith. In fact, we have solid ground, solid authority for our beliefs, regardless of what the world around us claims, regardless of what it dismisses. Just because somebody says to you that's not true, just because somebody says to you that doesn't make sense, just because somebody says I don't believe that doesn't make them right. I mean, sometimes we kind of go into apoplexy when somebody says that, like, like, could they be true? Or I've got, to, I've got to stand up and I've got to completely defend this. It's nice if you can defend it. But it's more important that you believe it and that you live it. And that how you live it will, in fact, become your defense. This allows you and me to stand up and not be swayed by what I've kind of called the beliefs du jour that are rampant today, you know, soup of the day, belief of the day. What is the, what is the, the happy belief? What is the common belief? What is, what is uh, you know, the cool belief? And I've lived long enough that it's not just one. I mean, they come and go. And, 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 and what is today, maybe in five years from now, won't be, but there'll be something else. But, but for us, sometimes when we first start hearing them, and especially if we don't realize this has always occurred, we may think, oh my gosh, there's something here. You know what I found is most of the beliefs du jour have been around many, many times through the centuries. They take different forms, different shapes. They put different words to them. But they're still over and over again kind of the same thing. Those who have John's church, they wanted to claim their own authority for how they live their lives. And, and so they rationalized beliefs to justify how they lived and, and, and the life they desired. Don't we do that sometimes? We find something that, that we want to do. 
And instead of saying, what does God's word say about it? How am I to live? How am I to conform my life to that? Instead, I say, here's what I want to do. How can I justify it? How can I make it right? And I don't say that we think, how can I make it right? But we start thinking, I want this. This is something I really do want. Surely God wouldn't mind. Surely God wouldn't care if I did this or I did that. And before you know it, we've come up with a rationalization. And then if our church or a preacher or somebody says something that that kind of flies in the face of that, well, well, then we go looking for somebody else who says what we want to hear. Instead of staying firm in God's word and what he says. Think about it. Tomorrow is Halloween. And for those kids who are going to go trick-or-treating, they're going to come home and they're going to tell parents, aren't they? They're going to tell you, I can have all the candy I want, can I? It's mine. I, I got it. Can I have it? They're going to, they're going to want to pig out, quite literally. And, and, and they will eat as much as they can get away with. And yet, there are a couple of things we parents know. I mean, a little, little candy may be okay, a lot may not be very good for them. And what's more, a lot will not be good for us about an hour later. Whether it's because they're not in bed or because they're in the restroom. You take your pick. But one way or another. And so as parents, we realize the importance of that, but, but our children don't, and so they rationalize that this is something they want, and therefore it ought to be okay. They don't look at the long term. They don't understand all the implications of it. And the real basis for those kinds of decisions is typically just, I want it, and that ought to be good enough. And I want to suggest to you that maybe we're not that different. Satan tempted Adam and Eve with the, the garden, with the fruit in the Garden of Eden, enticing that it would be good in so many ways. I want it. And we paid the price ever since. It's important then that we make sure we have carefully thought through our beliefs and make sure that they stand on solemn gra- solid ground, not, not on the whims of society, not on the beliefs du jour, not on whatever is convenient or comfortable for me or what works in my favor because our true beliefs are what determine our actions. And when our actions don't line up with what we claim, then it's likely that's not what we believe. It's simply what we say. We need to choose to live our lives on purpose, based on rock-solid beliefs and not on feelings. John affirms for us and his readers that that Jesus is truly unique, fully man, fully God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and in him is true and eternal life. John writes at the very, very, near the very beginning of his gospel, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, And this is important. And the darkness has not overcome it. No matter what somebody tells you. No matter whether they say it's stupid. Or you're one of those Christians. Or it doesn't matter. Or everyone else is doing it. In the end, the darkness has not overcome Jesus Christ and his life. And our lives as we live for him. Those who don't believe are operating outside the light. That means they're in the dark. And that means they can't see clearly. They are hindered in ways that followers of Jesus Christ are not. Those of us who profess our faith in Jesus and follow him are in the light. And God's word affirms that the darkness has not overcome the light. 
And so John really kind of points us to some solid grounds for faith because of the testimony of three things. I would put them like this, kind of working through what John has said. First, the Bible, which is, gives us the testimony of the water and the blood for, for the Spirit inspired its writings to tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's Word is, is exactly that. What God chose to speak and reveal to you and me. But John goes further because he points to the community on earth of the Holy Spirit, the church, that witnessed and continues to affirm God's truth in, in, in history and experience. Now, granted, there is no perfect church, including Gateway. I mean, I'd love for you to say, hey, we're the perfect church. But I'm not even perfect. In fact, I'm far from it, so I know you aren't. That's, that's not exactly a good way of putting it, is it? We aren't. If you're coming in and looking for the perfect church, you're going to be searching the rest of your life. The question is, do you make the church the body of Christ? Do you join in in what God is doing? And do you, when there are rough edges, when there is sin, when there is hypocrisy, do you work for God's good in the midst of community? Or do you jump out and find another community and eventually you're confronted by the same thing over and over again? The, the capital C church over the centuries, through all kinds of sins, all kinds of flaws, has maintained a consistent witness to Jesus Christ. And finally, John notes the gift of, of eternal life given by the Spirit that's not just about some future time in heaven, but that begins to offer us peace and confidence and joy and hope and assurance today, regardless of how life swirls around us. It is a real experience revealed in God's Word, confirmed by the church's experience down through the centuries. People who have welcomed Christ into their lives have sought to daily and faithfully follow him to experience a different, a better, a blessed life, though not necessarily an easier life. This past Monday night, our Celebrate Recovery ministry here, uh, which meets at 7 o'clock on Monday night, celebrated our 10th anniversary of that witness. Yes. And... Nobody's made a count, but we're quite confident well over a thousand people have gone through that ministry and been blessed and, and experienced renewal in their lives, uh, uh, helping people overcome the hurts, habits, and hang-ups of their lives through Jesus Christ. And, and there are certainly some folks who participate in sober recovery and CR because of addiction issues of, of various kinds. But there are a lot of others who are dealing with other kinds of hurts, other kinds of struggles in their lives. And yet on Monday night, as I listened to pop-up testimonies, this man right down here, Mr. Huckabee, was walking around with a microphone and, and people were just eager to get up and tell their story. It was interesting to hear how some of those struggling with addiction issues had participated in secular 12-step programs, and they had found some help, no question. But it was when they came to CR and placed Jesus at the center of their recovery that they found freedom. Not just help, not just coping skills, freedom. And it was so amazing. It was so powerful to listen to those testimonies. 
one after another after another, who, who, folks who through Jesus Christ are now experiencing the first taste of eternal life. And it made them hungry to stay on track because the best still lies ahead. These things John writes, they've given me confidence to live by faith, to trust Jesus, to obey him, to live out that faith through his church, even when I don't see all the hows, all the whys, when I am tempted, and I am tempted as all of us are by the belief du jour, whatever is going on around us, the church, the community of faith is still being used by the Spirit. And it's, it's why we believe things like, like membership. And our, our next membership class is next Sunday morning. It's why we believe things like being in a group, serving are so important to our journey because we find mutual support, mutual encouragement for loving God, for loving each other, for loving our world, not just being inward focused, but outward focused to make a difference in this world, to discover that, that together we find protection, in fact, from the latest fads of belief and practice that can lead us down slippery slopes. This is exactly what John was writing about nearly 2,000 years ago, and we are still facing the same things. It's the beauty of God's word. It is unchanging because you and I are still dealing with the same issues. And the good news is we have solid ground to trust him, to follow him, which is important because the alternatives can be so devastating. And we may not discover that until it is too late. I mean, I, I, I truly believe our lives and the lives of the world around us are at stake. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, said this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, notice, there's the action, belief, action, who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. I mean, we can come to church and we can acknowledge I believe in God and not live these words out. will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. I want to tell you, this is important because someday, if not already, all of us face floods. And a lot of times you don't know when they're coming. Sometimes they occur in a matter of a, of a half a second. Sometimes they may take days or weeks or months to, to appear. But someday, all of us have floods. And the other thing is, every one of us is going to face Jesus himself someday. And the thing he's going to want to know is, what did we do with what he gave us? Did we listen? Did we trust him? And trust him to the point that we lived it out by faith? Or did we go on our own way, following the beliefs du jour? Whatever was convenient, whatever was easy, whatever benefited me in the short term, whatever was convenient, even appealing, but not ultimately God-honoring or life-giving. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came 
that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's the journey we're on. That's what's so important to us. If you want to dig in more, we have a study guide. You can download it from our website. If you need to talk to some folks about this, our prayer team is going to be down here in just a moment, and they would love to talk to you about this journey. If you're new with us and you kind of want to learn a little more, we'd love to meet you right out here. And, and Gateway family, if you brought someone with you, I hope you'll bring them over and introduce them to us on this journey that we're in together because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we need that common witness of the Spirit to protect us, to guide us when stuff happens. And it does. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your grace, which is more than enough. It is sufficient. It is incredible. Thank you for loving us even when we're not very lovable. You tell us that your love is not contingent on us. It's based on you, on your character, on your nature. And you love us no matter what. And in fact, you have given us Jesus Christ at great cost that we might be forgiven, that we might be free. But if he is our Savior, if he is our Lord, then we don't have the luxury of dismissing him or picking and choosing. You call us to obedience. You call us to faithfulness. And that is one of the great challenges of our day, Father, because the beliefs du jour are all around us, and they say commitment doesn't matter. Follow me. Do this. It's fun. Nobody will know, but you know. And in truth, we know, Father, and we know that it affects our soul. It's, it's damaging to our soul. It's destructive. So help us to trust you. Trust you to the point that we follow you. That's been the invitation you've always given us. Follow me. May we do that right now, Father. May we walk out of these doors following you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.